Hey everyone, and welcome to Avatar the Podcast. I am the most excited that I have ever been, besides <laughs> episode two, to talk about book two, episode six, The Blind Bandit, or as we like to call it, The Boulder and the Pebble. That's right. And as always, I am Booster Greg. And I am Acorn. I cannot contain my excitement for this episode. Not only do we finally get to see Toph, but like for real Toph, not giggling, shadow, creepy swamp girl Toph. Yep. But the real deal Japanese steel Toph. <laughs> I was so excited that I forgot to introduce myself correctly. You said Booster Greg. I should say Acorn Bandit, but I said Acorn instead. Trying to get us to the episode. <laughs> You're trying to get us there quickly. <laughs> yes. All right. But before I'm going to tease everyone real quick, because we're not going to talk about the episode just yet, because we do have a big announcement that we want to make. An announcement just as big as the fact that we are recording the Blind Bandit today. And that announcement is that we have an enamel pin. Yes. That is up for sale on our website or my website, I should say, joysons.com. J-O-I-S-A-N-S.com. We made another enamel pin for the podcast. This one featuring probably hands down our favorite character in all of book two, mm-hmm. Toph. Yes, I'm so excited about this one. I cannot wait to put it on my beanie next to my oppa pin. That's going to look so good next to each other. Oh, my gosh. I am so excited about this because I feel like it's just going to... I feel like everyone's going to just really enjoy it. It's, it's really... If I do say so myself, it's a great design. It is a wonderful design. And for those listening, you can thank Greg for this design. It is beautiful. I got so angry at myself and my drawing abilities and everything while making this because I haven't drawn in quite a bit. So I was like, first take, go. And then Acorn was like, no, it's going to take you more than that. You should probably, you know, thumbnail, sketch, like do all the the actual steps. And I was like, no, I don't want to. I want to. I want to do one take. One take Perfect. boost. That's what they the call me. First time. That's it. <laughs> one take boosty. Is that what you one said? One take boosty. That's what they call me. <laughs> um, yes. So again, you could find that over at joysons.com. That's J O I S A N S. Don't forget the S at the end, like yes. I do every time I type it in, because <laughs> that doesn't exist. It does not. Also, Mm-mm. if you prefer Etsy, we do have an Etsy store. You can search for Joyson Studio and find it there as well. Yes, that's right. All right. So I think that's enough of a of a little bit of a tease to jump right into the blind bandit. Let's get to it already. This episode was written by Michael Dante DiMartino or Mike, as it likes to be called, apparently from the from the uh, commentary that was on the Blu-ray and DVD releases and was directed by Ethan Spaulding. And a quick little fun fact about him. This is his second episode directing. The first one was Return to Amashu. So, so far, this directing is like a two out of two. Love them both. Gowling is a large town shielded within a mountain range. It is a well-established town and, like any large town, contains a variety of social classes from rich to poor. Team Avatar finds themselves stuck at a local shop as Sokka ponders if the bag that sits in front of him is worth the money or not. After quite the back and forth between him and Katara, Sokka leaves the shop empty-handed, only to rush back in, not even a second later, and purchase the bag. 
While he is finishing his purchase, a man approaches Aang and Katara and hands them a flyer on the street for Master Yu's Earthbending Academy. After taking the flyer, Aang notes that there's a coupon on the back for the first free lesson. Katara adds that this Master Yu could be the earthbending teacher they've been looking for. Later that day, Aang gears up quite literally for his first ever earthbending lesson. He finds himself confused as he has joined what looks like a martial arts class for kids in a mall, and he is the biggest kid in the class. Aang picks his ear, smells it, and then stands at attention as Master Yu enters the training grounds. Take your stances, Master Yu shouts at his class. Now strike as if you're punching through your opponent's head. Before Aang can react, his opponent on the other side of the lineup earthbends a rock right at him, sending him flying into the wall. Master Yu approaches his new potential student and asks if he's ready to commit for a full year of training. After all, doing this will bump Aang up a whole belt. Aang stares blankly at Master Yu. Only his face, nose, and right hand are visible, but not for long as the earth shifts and covers his face. I love that you added Maul in your description yeah. because I loved reading this. Master Yu's Earthbanding Academy is part of a parody or is in part a parody of real-world strip mall dojos or mick dojos because of the structure of being able to achieve belts without any actual achievements or learning. It's just, oh, I'll bump up your belt rank if you sign up for X amount of classes. And I learned that uh, Sifu Kisu, the martial arts expert on the staff, hates this structure of martial arts learning yeah <laughs> so it's a nice little nod yeah it's um it's kind of funny too because ang like when he leaves he gets to keep the gear he's wearing like this different gear that's why i was like geared up quite literally that was a little pun that was a little maybe too subtle for <laughs> for all the people who enjoy my puns out there but i remember watching the commentary and brian and mike were talking about how while the first class was free the gear was not and that's how master you makes his money is oh man not just getting people to commit to a full year and hoping they don't show up but by selling them overpriced gear so i thought that's that was really funny brilliant and diabolical yeah it's great and like that's how that's master use just like style he is a decent earthbender or even a good one but he doesn't he doesn't really believe in the philosophy of it to its full extent he's just using it as a tool yeah. to survive and make money yeah, I, th- I think he even comes from a prestigious earthbending family, too. Oh, I don't know. Probably. I would I would believe it based on how he carries himself. He's very, like, stuck up feeling. Yes, he does. So, yeah. So, class is let out. Aang, with his now purchased gear, tells the group that this guy probably isn't the one and clears some sand out of his ears. Now, fun fact, Master Yu is voiced by Sab Shimono, who we now know best as Monk Gyatso or the voice of Monk Gyatso. Oh, yeah. So man, I'm, I'm kind of bummed that he voiced this guy because I don't really like this guy. I, I think that kind of makes me more impressed with Sab's performances. The fact that he That's can be true. someone so like loving and paternal and just like such a mentor position to the exact opposite where he's a mentor only by, I guess, legal definitions. And that's it. (laughs) He's he's a mentor by payment. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) By financial (laughs) means. He's a mentor. Yeah. All right. So I think so. We we have a couple teenagers coming out. Right. And one of them goes, I think the boulder is going to win back the belt at Earth Rumble six. 
He's going to have to fight his way through the best earthbenders in the world to get a shot at the champ. So Aang is overhearing this conversation and they look like they're two older students of Master Yu's. So they're probably still not great at earthbending, but they've been with him for a little bit is my headcanon for it. Yeah. So Aang like kind of pipes in and just immediately asks, you know, where is this Earth Rumble 6? Where does it take place? This is one of my favorite jokes, probably in Avatar, period. Oh right my now. God, because right you're now. Sokka. That's why you like this joke. This is hilarious because I also make this joke on a consistent basis. So one of the boys goes, it's on the island of Nunya. Nunya business. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, and don't forget the uh, the sister island, mind ya. Oh, geez. mind ya business. Oh, it's so good. Okay. So they both chuckle in one of those like sick burn bro kind of ways, except like not <laughs> ironically. They're just like really yep. <laughs> laughing at each with each other. Uh, and Sokka, of course, enjoys the burn. Uh, another really cool thing. Both of these teenagers are voiced by Scott Menville again. This is the third or fourth time he's shown up as oh, cool. different characters. So he was, I can't remember the first. Oh, he was in the Great Divide as the scout, the guy, ah. the Gajin scout. He was uh, one of the Earth Kingdom's soldiers who delivered, not Bato. It was in the episode Bato of the Water Tribe. He delivered the directions or the whereabouts to Sokka and Katara's father. Yes, we talked about that. Yep. yep. And he showed up one other place that's escaping me right now. But I think this is the third or fourth time he showed up. And again, uh, he's the voice of Robin from Teen Titans Go. He does many, many more, but that's kind of this big thing that, for me. Very cool. And a note about one of those boys. Mm -hmm. The one who has the shaved head with a little floof on top. Mm -hmm. Fun fact or fun little nod. That is a hairstyle that resembles the big bad hippo, one of the wrestlers who appears in Earth Rumble 6. Yeah. So it, he's apparently a fan of that particular competitor. Yeah, that's really funny. Also, he would not be my my favorite wrestler or no. earthbender in this. But, you no. know, everyone's got to have a favorite, Teach I guess. Yeah. I'll take care of this, Katara tells her friend as she chases after the boy saying, hey, strong guys, wait up and probably one of the most sarcastic tones i have heard yet <laughs> Sokka takes another look at his bag and has buyer's remorse he didn't need a new bag why did ang let him buy it he tosses it on the ground and then momo just like goes to sleep right in it which is really funny yeah, he's like oh this is my bag now <laughs> if it fits he sits that's that's momo's yes yeah moments later katara turns and tells the group that she hopes they're ready to find ang an earthbending teacher because guess what? They're going to Earth Rumble 6. When Aang asks how Katara got this information, she smiles and says, a girl has her ways. And by the way, if anyone's wondering, her ways are freezing the dumb boys in an alleyway so their heads are touching and they're like horizontal against the side of a wall. <laughs> I thought that was really interesting, actually, how, you know, a lot of the show is coming of age and Aang and Katara having like crushes on each other. And it's cutesy and it's like first discovering love and stuff. But I thought it was interesting how Katara has this like she seems to understand the effect of feminine wiles in this scene. She's like, I got this, guys. Hey, strong guys. And even though she's being sarcastic, she's yeah. like, I guess going to charm them. But then it gets flipped on its head because she uses like aggressive bending to like interrogate them instead. But I thought it was cool how there was like both of those things. See, I didn't read into her her like yelling after the boys in the same way that you did. I read it oh, in, really? and, like when I saw them like that, I was like, yeah, that's the only way this was going to end. Like she was, I think, playing it up much in the way that Sokka plays up a lot of his stuff, which I think is very like 
the way they were brought up. They're just like siblings very close in age. So they're going to have similar mannerisms, even though they're completely different people. So I think that was just kind of one of those. She was like, oh, wait for me, boys. And she was just like kind of overplaying it to let. I, don't, I think it was for her own amusement, to be honest with you. I don't know who that was for other than us, like the viewers. True. Yeah. When she came back, though, and she was like, oh, a girl has her ways. It yeah. was like very much. Oh, you know, I can be charming. I'm a girl. You know what? I wonder if and this is not I don't like this, if this is the interpretation that is kind of going into it. But I wonder if she didn't want to, like, be too overbearing or too, like, scary or anything like that. front, because like she just developed feelings for Aang or just realized her feelings for Aang not even a couple episodes ago. So maybe she's like trying to be not as like aggressive instead of just like being tough and charging in and just like what we'll see what will happen right and just like earth bending and making like a big mess in a scene and all of that she's just like you're right using her wiles but like in a way that is hidden from ang i see what you're saying yeah so what you know what happened in that scene seems to be striking you as well because i think for me it's just that like dichotomy between the gentle femininity mm-hmm. and then the aggression of the bending because she yeah. flipped them on their yes. sides and fused them together by the heads yes yeah it's, and she never tells ang that she did that either no exactly so oh maybe she's it's more she's like it. i think she's hiding it i think yeah. you're right i think it's more of like a charming like oh it's okay you know yep. they just gave me the information i'm nice i'm sweet you can still like me yeah versus yep. like yeah no, I, I gave him a hurtin' and they told me where this Earth Rumble 6 is and don't worry about it. He'll be fine. <laughs> well, I hope she knows later on that doing that will not change Aang's impression of her or idea yeah. of her, which is really yeah. nice. You be you, Katara. He'll love you all the same. Yes. Yeah, so day turns to night as the crowd fills the indoor stadium for Earth Rumble 6. Aang comments on how they got front row seats and wonders why nobody else is sitting here. As soon as he finishes his sentence and sits down, a huge rock smashes into the seats to their left. I guess that's why Sokka says after his near-death experience, and they're all just like, yeah, they're all just like shocked about it. It's really funny. The stadium begins to quake as a man with long hair stands on a platform made out of earth, rising from the ring below. This man's name is Shinfu. And he is the hype man and host for the big event. Or really, like, if you're a wrestler, if you're a wrestling fan, I'm not particularly, but I know enough to say this. He is kind of like the Vince McMahon of this whole, like, organization. Yeah, that's the guy who holds the the microphone that comes down from the ceiling, right? No, no. So he, Vince McMahon is, he's like a combination. So Vince McMahon is like, he's a big enough guy where you believe he was a wrestler and he might have been at one point. He probably was. Rob's probably go losing his mind right now as I try to explain wrestling after only seeing like three matches <laughs> in my life. Sorry, Rob. But he's like he's like the head of the organization, right? Okay. And he, he's always got like a suit that's just like a little too small that just shows his muscles, which are just a little too large. <laughs> but yeah, so that and you've probably seen a lot of the memes and stuff and the gifts with him in it. Uh, but he is in this, so he's kind of the leader of the organization, which is kind of what we'll see. And even Brian and Mike, which, which is why I can make this this analogy is Brian and Mike in the commentary even said he is kind of the Vince McMahon of it. He does double as the announcer and the hype man, but he is also the leader. Gotcha. Yes. So he's on the microphone and he welcomes the crowd into this very, as we've been saying, pro wrestling kind of way. Katara shakes her head and sighs and says, this is just going to be a bunch of guys chucking rocks at each other, isn't it? That's what I paid for. An excited Sokka says smugly to his sister. 
Shin Fu explains the rules are simple and the crowd goes wild. All you really got to do is knock the other guy out of the ring and you win. Round one is announced and the fighters are the boulder versus the big bad hippo. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Sokka, you didn't pay for anything. Well, they might have. You don't know. They, they didn't take the tickets from the boys in the alleyway. And if they did, they'd be one short. Okay. No, they you're just right. learned. So they only learned of the whereabouts from the two boys. So this town is a pretty well off town. They're pretty affluent. So what Mike and Brian were saying in the, in the DVD commentary were that this is kind of like their guilty little secret because it's so like archaic and brute force and just dirty and just like, like gladiators, gladiator style. And they're holding themselves in this town as very sophisticated, intelligent people. So what they do is they have this like event, this earth rumble event and don't tell anyone else about it. So that way they can kind of have their cake and eat it too. So they, it's entirely Uh possible that team avatar paid for their tickets and they probably have a good amount of money. They've just been helping people and people seem to be throwing like gifts and, and money and stuff at them, even though they don't really want it or ask for it. Yeah. Good point. So I like like to think that they're being paid for their service and their help and maybe even just like, you know, a couple donations here and there for the avatar here and there. Yeah. So another quick little thing. Uh, Shinfu is voiced by Mark Grau, who has done voices for World of Warcraft, Ratchet and Clank. He was Mr. Zircon for anyone, any Ratchet and Clank fans out there. Rage 2 and Wasteland 3. And the the boulder, who we'll see in a minute, is voiced by none other than Mick Foley. I know him as Mankind, but he's gone through many different uh, wrestling names. He's an actual wrestler, and I actually couldn't find any voices. This is This is where things get really sad for me. And I just tweeted at one of the voice actors who's credited as additional voices because I've watched this episode so many times <laughs> and I need to know who did what voice, but they don't say who voices Big Bad Hippo, but Kevin Michael Richardson is credited as additional voices and it sounds exactly like him. So I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that Big Bad Hippo is voiced by Kevin Michael Richardson. If that name sounds familiar, he played Haru's dad back in Imprisoned. So he's, he's another uh, reoccurring Ooh. voice actor. Yep. And he's very, very well established. If you want to go listen for more of his more of his filmography, go back to the imprisoned episode for sure. If you already listened to the imprisoned episode, then you know. So you don't have to go back. Or you can if you want, you know, relive the good old days of book one. <laughs> so we have this big announcement happening, right? The boulder versus the big bad hippo. The show really starts, the wrestling match really begins as the chests puff up and the smack talking comes out. So I wanna I wanna do my my best hit my best boulder impression here oh my god yes <clears throat> and it's really like so it's he's doing a just to delay it a little bit more he is really just doing a macho man randy savage impression is what i got out of the boulder even though he looks a lot like the rock and obviously that's going to be his name is the boulder so the rock analogies is definitely yeah. there I think uh, there's some elements, though. I actually went to YouTube and watched a couple clips of uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson oh in God. his wrestling career. And oh, oh my man. goodness, they sound very similar. Oh, man. OK. All right. Well, <clears throat> I'm going to be doing my my best Macho Man Randy Savage Boulder impression. Listen up, hippo. You may be big, but you ain't bad. The boulder's going to win this in a landslide. By the way, boulder, great pun right there. Appreciate it. <laughs> The boulder, uh, so said, good. it's so much fun to do this. The boulder says with a delivery. So he says this line with a delivery that screams pro wrestling, right? Oh, yeah. 
The boulder then slams his foot on the ground and bends a large rock right at Hippo, who quite literally chews it and spits it out. He catches it with his face. Yes, it's so impressive. Hippo then leaps into the air and causes the surface of the arena to tilt when he lands. This sends the boulder back and he nearly falls out of the arena, but he catches himself and throws a slab of earth at Hippo. He then jumps back into action and picks up the earth underneath Hippo and throws him out of the ring. The boulder has won. Ding, ding, ding. Katara asks if Aang thinks the boulder, I'm going to start saying like this, the boulder would be a good teacher. He does seem to know his stuff about earthbending after all. I don't know, Aang replies. Boomy says I need a teacher who listens to the earth. He's just listening to his big muscles. (laughs) Astute observation, Aang. (laughs) When Aang asks Sokka's opinion, you can see that the young warrior has lost himself to the sport and is screaming loudly in excitement, also listening to the boulder's big muscles. And that's about it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And this is where I'm going to say Earth Rumble 6 is probably the most entertaining bit of Avatar for me. And also... What really plays into that is not only Toph in the boulder, but also Sokka losing his mind oh, during the match. <laughs> he is so excited about this match. It's like everything he's ever wanted in entertainment in one yes. place. It's so funny. Yes. I was thinking about this a little bit further. I know we're not even close to Korra yet, but this little bit makes me feel a little bit better about professional bending as a sport. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to remember this when we get to pro bending and Korra. Yeah, because I think when I first watched Korra, pro bending was so like out of the out of the blue for me that I was like, I don't know. But now that we're going to be watching it so quickly together, I wonder if I'll have a different take on it. Anyways, that's enough about Korra. The next match is announced as the boulder faces Fire Nation Man. And I put this note on there. You you know who Fire Nation Man is kind of based off of. Yeah, I researched a lot into the different personas of the benders here. And yeah, so Fire Nation Man is the token evil foreigner in Mm -hmm. the world of wrestling. And so the fireman's role was that of a heel. And that's a specific term from wrestling to be hated by the audience and defeated instantly in order to generate enthusiasm for other fighters. So Fire Nation Man shows a resemblance in his entrance to many of those bad guy foreign wrestlers. Mm -hmm. I saw most specifically, it was noted, Nikolai Volkov, who was known for singing Soviet Union's national anthem prior to his matches in the WWF much to the crowd's dismay. So I like that connection there where in our world, in the WWF, someone was singing Soviet or Russian stuff. Mm -hmm. And then in this world, it's the Fire Nation who is like the enemy. Yeah. I also did notice that, in my opinion, Fire Nation man looks a lot like Zhao with his like... He looks so much like Zhao. He has got the same mutton chops and everything, which I everyone knows I really love that. So he had me. And then he sings this like <laughs> this national anthem while everyone's yeah. booing at him, which cannot possibly be the Fire Nation's national anthem. It can't. No, I, I can't even see them having a national anthem. <laughs> They're just like so serious most of the time. Yeah, everyone's booing him and he's just like singing in this like almost stereotypical mashup of a Japanese accent and yet a Russian accent at the same time. Like it went like yeah. <laughs> back and forth so much. It was, I had a hard time placing it. It was very funny. Ooh, before we get too much farther, I also want to make a note since we talked about the 
Fire Nation man, the Big Bad Hippo, according to the creators on the DVD commentary, the Big Bad Hippo was inspired by the professional wrestler Andre the Giant, who was also in The Princess Bride, Mm -hmm. if you didn't know. The Big Bad Hippo also looks similar to King Hippo from Nintendo's Punch-Out! series. Oh, I didn't even make that connection. It's uncanny. That's really cool. It's been probably about 25 years since I played that game, though, to be fair. (laughs) All right. So the boulder makes quick work of Fire Nation Man. That's his whole purpose is to be made quick work of. As he tosses him on top of the boulder that almost took out Team Avatar in the front row before the show began. Sokka cheers and yells, the boulder knows how to put the hurt in dirt, which I think he thought was a lot more clever than it actually was because they only share two letters. Like usually when you say you put the this and that, it's like the full word of this is involved in that, which Sokka's just too excited at this point. Oh my gosh. This is an example of what I was talking about before. You know, he lands right next to him in the, in the stadium seats and he's just like freaking out. Yeah. Oh yeah. The boulder knows how to put the hurt in the dirt. Yeah. (laughs) The ring is cleared of debris by badger moles. And this is like, this brought me back to childhood because I used to play hockey like as a kid and they were just like Zambonis, which was amazing and hilarious. And it's like such a utilitarian way to like have a relationship with these creatures, essentially, which it's also kind of like sacrilegious almost for earthbenders to be using them this way, I feel. Because the origin of earthbending comes from badger moles, obviously not these ones, but badger moles in general. So you would think they'd be held to a higher regard than Zambonis. Yeah, I know what you mean. So I was thinking about that. And I mean, we have the Fire Nation Circus, which has a lot of creatures in it. And we'll later see how Appa is very prized because he's an animal that could be added to a circus too. Right. And so, so far in the Earth Kingdom, we've seen a lot of badger mole imagery mm-hmm. where there's statues, they're at the head or the entrance of a town. Like there's a lot of nods and cultural appreciation of the badger moles. So I like to think in something like Earth Rumble, which is super prestigious, it's super popular. These badger moles are probably treated like kings and queens. I would like to think like they're pampered and they're taken care of okay. and they have a simple job because they're so like important. Okay. So they're like domesticated, like much like cats are right. And like ancient Egyptians held them in such high regard. And now we still do if you have one, I hope, but yeah, they're more yeah. like pets and they have like, it's probably how they get their exercises by being the Zambonis here. Yeah. They're probably living cushy lives. Yeah. And it's it's more impressive, too, to have a badger mole clear the stage because the stadium is so large and the badger moles are so large. Yeah. All right. So then next we get a montage of the boulder taking out other wrestlers with various animal themes. There's a gopher and a gecko. Um, there's also like a hunter type, which doesn't quite go with the animal theme, but also kind of does at the same time. Like the, the guy is always swinging in. Yeah. Uh, there, So they're all his next victories. He all goes through them very easily. And the crowd loves it. Finally, the crowd quiets as Shin Fu sets the scene. The next match won't be so easy for the boulder as he is going to take on the reigning champion. That's right, everyone. This is the moment we've all been waiting for. And not only am I talking as Shin Fu right now, but I'm also, it's me, Greg, talking to you. Wonderful, <laughs> beautiful, and handsome listeners out there. Now, it's the boulder versus the blind bandit. A girl rises from the ring 
only for the camera to be pulled back a little bit and reveal that she's like super teeny tiny. She's so short. She's so tiny. I love it. Holding a pro wrestling belt over her head. Her eyes are cloudy. And like I said, she is short. The blind bandit hands the belt to one of the ring women who takes it to safety. Katara wonders out loud if this little girl is actually blind or if it's just a gimmick. Aang believes that she is blind and Sokka believes that the blind bandit is going down. (laughs) The boulder feels conflicted about fighting a young blind girl. Sounds to me like you're scared, boulder. (laughs) I love that you just did that. I've been waiting. 27 episodes for for Acorn (laughs) to jump in with my terrible voice acting. Okay. The boulder is over his conflicted feelings, and now he's ready to bury you in a rockalanche. Whenever you're ready, the pebble. (laughs) I love her laugh. (laughs) I do too. So much. So much. The young girl says this as she laughs. Aang hears this laugh and immediately remembers his vision of the laughing girl with the winged boar from the swamp and knows that she is meant to be his earthbending teacher. I love his face here, too. He yeah. has this like dumbfounded, confused, curious type yeah. of expression on his face. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because he's just like this thing that doesn't make sense that I was trying to like incorporate into my life that doesn't seem to be like a thing is now a thing. It's probably like a moment of deja vu. Deja vu mixed with wonder. Yeah. Yeah. Before we go any farther, mm-hmm. I want to backtrack just a little bit okay, now okay. that we've officially received Toph into the into the series mm-hmm. and talk about the other wrestlers that are portrayed. Okay. So we've talked about the token evil foreigner or Fire mm-hmm. Nation man and the big guy, the big bad hippo. Mm-hmm. We also have what are known as high flyers, the gecko, the gopher and the headhunter. And the gecko was based on the WWE wrestler Rey Mysterio. Yeah. The Headhunter is a parody of Jim Warrior Hellwig. And then the star attraction or the merchandise driver, the Boulder. Mm-hmm. And as we've already discussed, the Boulder is named after the legendary wrestler and Mike's personal hero, The Rock, mm-hmm. even though he's voiced by Mick Foley. Yeah. And then we have the champion or the blind bandit. Yeah. So I think at this point, just so everyone's aware I think Dwayne The Rock Johnson was beginning his movie career or is at a very pivotal moment. So I think he was just super busy. And that's my headcanon for why he did not voice the role of the boulder. I'd like to yeah. think that if he was offered to portray the boulder in live action, he would take it. Oh, my God. I would love that, please. Oh I would God. love that so much. That'd be so We haven't good. heard any casting yet as of this recording for the live action. Wouldn't it be incredible if they were able to snag him? Literally, like whatever you read, everyone's dream casting, the boulder is always included in it because, you know, even though he's only in one episode because he's the rock. (laughs) And honestly, I feel like everyone, at least everyone I know, loves the rock. Yes. So, yeah. So the boulder going back into the to the event. Right. So we have the blind bandit. I'm only going to refer to her as that until we learn her actual name in continuity. But we have the blind bandit kind of taunting the boulder and the boulder takes charge and makes the first move. As he's doing this, we see how the blind bandit sees the world. It's just kind of like this wave of just like energy pulsing into the ground and listening to what the earth has to say. So she makes a few small movements and is able to easily throw the pebble out of the ring. (laughs) And the blind bandit has won again. And Sokka is heartbroken. (laughs) So Mike and Brian kind of like 
went into a little more detail on how her abilities work. And she does kind of say this a little bit later in the episode, but they portray it in a very visual kind of way with these like light rings kind of emanating from her out into the world in like a black and white type imagery. Yeah, very like ripple, like a, a, a ripple in the ocean kind of way is what it made me think of as well which is interesting for earthbending, but it is, this is more visual. She literally just listens and kind of feels the vibrations of the earth. And through that, she can pinpoint where things are. It reminded me a lot of Daredevil, to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah, very much. And let's talk about that a little bit because um, seismic sense, which is what that's called, is a subskill of earthbending that mm. constitutes for physical sense. So this skill enables earthbenders to detect vibrations in the ground, to perceive objects, people, and other aspects of their environment, essentially acting as sonar, but through the earth and structures. And so I wanted to take a moment to talk about that because so far in the show, we've encountered a couple subskills of bending. Water bending, we've mm-hmm. encountered healing. Mm-hmm. With earth bending, we've encountered lava bending and now seismic sense. Mm-hmm. With fire bending, we've seen lightning generation and lightning redirection. Mm-hmm. And then with air bending, we've seen flight and being able to to fly essentially on the currents. Yeah. Okay. So kind of back into this bitter defeat for the boulder. Shinfu jumps down from his platform and tells the crowd that he will offer a sack of gold pieces to anyone who can defeat the champion. This is obviously just part of the show. And I don't think personally anyone has ever volunteered before. I think they just kind of do it. Be like, oh, you want to take on the champion? No. okay. tune in (laughs) next time. Right. But what Shinfu doesn't realize is that the avatar is in the crowd. Aang volunteers so he can get close enough to the young girl to talk to her. This doesn't quite work out the way he thought it would as the blind bandit taunts him and calls him fancy dancer since he's so light on his feet. She rock bends a few things at Aang who easily redirects the earth away from him, but also knocks her out of the ring, making Aang the new champion. Everyone is stunned and then cheers. The girl storms away, angry at her loss, and Aang tries to chase after her and begs her to teach him earthbending. The girl tells the young airbender to leave her alone and then earthbends herself an exit and seals it shut behind her, much like when we first went to Omashu. We saw them do this exact same thing. Yeah. A lot more comical and a lot smaller, obviously, because she's like, what, four foot something, I feel like. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I have to point out here, I love the part when Aang first gets on the arena, I guess. And Mm -hmm. he's like, I just want to talk. I don't want to fight you. And Sokka's like, boo, no (laughs) talking. (laughs) Guitarist's like, don't boo him. She like knocks him on the head. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Glass is so good. He's so into the hype. The other thing I want to point out, too, is... This is the first time that Toph has seen an airbender and her abilities or not abilities, but like her ability to see is like not great with airbenders because he is so light on his feet. And Mike and Brian even said this in the commentary. He's so light on his feet that like he makes like just the smallest vibration on the earth. And when he's in the air, she can't see him at all. So that's why he was so uh, he was able to take her out so easily. Also, I read this theory um, somewhere on the internet. I, don't ask me where. I can't remember. But that we, the viewers, can see the air being bended, but people in the world usually cannot. That would make complete sense. Yeah. And that's only reinforced later in this episode. And I'll make a point to bring it up then as well. Yeah. So to the crowd, it potentially just looked like she just like got flown off by an invisible force. Right. 
So something to kind of like stick in our, our, our brain banks for the time being. As the crowd cheers, Sokka snatches the bag of gold coins from Shin's hands and gives him a big old hug and takes the championship belt as well and congratulates his friend on the victory. I don't know why he gave him a hug, but it's hilarious and I love it. it like, who do you think you are, Sokka? Well, you didn't win this, Sokka. <laughs> <laughs> but Aang is disappointed in the outcome of the match. As the sun rises on the town of Gaoling, Sokka comments how happy he is that he actually bought the bag from earlier in the episode. <laughs> it goes perfectly with this new Earth Rumble 6 belt. That's a big relief, Katara says sarcastically. <laughs> Aang, ignoring the exchange, tells his friends that they should go back to the Earthbending Academy, since that would be the best place to start looking for the blind bandit. Sokka, the fashionista. I know. Uno. <laughs> Uno, not me. When the group approaches the Academy, the two teenage boys from earlier are practicing pounding earth with their bare hands, which is actually, I believe that is actually something they do in martial arts. What I thought was pretty funny is the expression go pound sand, which is what they're oh, literally doing. Yeah. So I don't know if that was on purpose. I think it's more just like the, this is actually a thing that um, is a martial arts practice, but that came to my mind because these guys suck essentially. Yeah. Oh, great. You again. One of the teenagers mutters. Katara shoots them a deadly glare, which causes the two of them to nearly fall back in fear. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think so, Katara says to the boys with a focused gaze. Sokka pats his sister on the back. <laughs> the other teenager recognizes Aang as the kid who beat the blind bandit, and Aang takes the opportunity to try to find out more information on her whereabouts. Unfortunately, the blind bandit is a mystery, and nobody knows much about her. She just shows up to fight and then disappears into the night right afterwards. Believing the two punks are lying, Katara intimidates the two of them further, but they really don't have any additional information. She's like that, I got this. And she's like, give me what it is. She's like Batman. She's just yeah. like, Harvard, where is he? And they're like, I don't know. No one knows I anything. Swear. I'm sorry. <laughs> Aang has an idea. He begins to tell the two teenagers about the girl in his vision and her white dress, along with her pet flying boar. The first teenager informs the group that their richest family in town, the Beifong family, has a flying boar as their symbol. The second one adds that they don't have a daughter, though. The flying boar is enough for Aang, and they leave the academy. Yeah, you better leave, the teenager says under his breath. Hey, I got my eye on you, Katara says, as she does the universal hand motion for the I'm watching you kind of thing. <laughs> And then leaves behind Aang. And then in one of Sokka's most iconic gifts that are yes. out there, he just goes, Water Tribe. One of the best meme gifts ever. <laughs> it's so well animated, too. There's that one part yeah. for Sokka. I feel like someone working on the animation studio just spent like extra hours making that because they were just having fun. They were just like, I want this to be nice. I like to think that someone like dedicated their life yeah. and their skills to making Sokka look as cool and goofy and Sokka-like as possible. Yes. And that was one of the moments. Yes, it's so good. Back at the arena, the boulder tells Shin Fu that he believes the fight between Aang and the blind bandit was thrown on purpose to get the extra gold. This is what I'm talking about because to the boulder and everyone else, it just looks like she took a fall potentially. Yeah. Or she took a dive. That's the term, right? Took a dive. I feel like I've watched mm -hmm. enough Rocky movies and, and stuff to know that. <laughs> yeah. And so for those who don't know, take a dive means purposefully lose. Yes. Because you have money waiting for you or whatever. Yes. For whatever ulterior motive you lose on yeah. purpose. Yeah. 
He says that the bandit must have taken a dive because she just fell out of the ring. There was no earthbending involved at all. Shinfu slams against the wall and exclaims that nobody cheats him. And then a rock falls on his foot from his own rage, which I thought was pretty funny. (laughs) Small little note here. Mm -hmm. The second time we've seen Boulder from behind. And I just want to point out that he has a tattoo of a badger mole on his back. I didn't even know. I just thought it was some weird tribal tattoo that I didn't really look at. It looks very tribally. Yeah, but if you look closer, it's almost like a top-down view of a badger mole with its paws spread out to the sides and its little snout going up his spine. I see it. I see it now. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was like weird butterfly wings or something. It's like we're really (laughs) just doing like a Rorschach test at this point for me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When the gang approached the Beifang estate, Aang immediately recognizes the family symbol as the boar from his vision. The group easily hops over the fence and enters the courtyard where they are ambushed with a burst of earthbending. What are you doing here, Twinkletoes? It's the blind bandit, and she's wearing the dress from his vision. Also Twinkletoes. Twinkletoes, I know. I love that. Becomes his nickname later. I do remember that from her specifically, <laughs> but it's so funny. How did you know it was me? Aang asks, but is immediately scolded by Sokka, who warns him not to answer to that nickname because it's not manly. Oh my gosh. Katara reminds Sokka that he is the one with the matching belt bag combination. The girl asks how they found her. Aang goes on to explain about his vision and King Boomy's directions. Katara interrupts and tells the girl that Aang is the avatar and he needs to find an earthbending master or else he won't be able to defeat the Fire Lord. This, again, small note, Mm -hmm. but we talked about Katara actually in our last Aang mail. In Aang mail number five, we're doing our countdown of our top characters based on the Aang mail that we've received from listeners. Mm -hmm. And we talked a little bit about, or I talked about how Katara is very much like the backbone of the group. She's the mom. She's the support. uh, She keeps them together. And I feel like this is another example of her keeping them together, which is like what Aang's trying to say is (laughs) like smoothing things over for them so they can actually get to where they're trying to go. Yes. The girl tells the group that this isn't her problem. And if they don't leave, she will summon the guards. Sokka steps up and tells the bandit that everyone has to do their part to win this war, and hers is teaching Aang how to earthbend. The girl turns around and cries out for the guards in a panicked voice. The group scatters before the guards arrive and hide behind the wall that surrounds the estate. It's here that we learn the name of the blind bandit is Toph Beifong, and she's amazing in every single way. Every single way. Every single way. There is no bad aspect, in my opinion, to Toph. There's a couple, but she's amazing. She, she gets over it. It's she fine. gets over it. So Toph is actually voiced by Michaela Jill Murphy, but is credited as Jesse Flower. It was like it was an old stage name or something. I couldn't figure out why she changed it back. Probably just she outgrew the name, to be honest. Yeah. And we first encountered that little fun fact in The Fortune Teller mm-hmm. because Jesse Flowers also voices Meng. Yep, that's right. Uh, which was, if you remember, Ang is the love of her life. Yes. But not the other way around, <laughs> unfortunately. Again, I'll say this again. She has been in Meet the Robinsons, Legend of Korra, The Emperor's New School, and Kronk's New Groove. So it seems like she was almost a reoccurring character at that point for the Emperor's New Groove universe, I guess. I don't know what you would even yeah. call that. Inside of Beifong Manor. That's what I'm calling this, by the way. I'm calling it Beifong Manor because it I like it. that way. It's know, like, like a manor. It. Yeah. So inside of Beifong Manor, Toph's father, Lao, is talking to Master Yu about his daughter's training. He hears that it's going very well, but he doesn't want it to be too dangerous. Yu assures the Lord that he is keeping her at the beginner's level. Basic forms and breathing exercises only. Lao is pleased with this as he drinks his tea. 
Lau is voiced by uh, Cam Clark, by the way, who you might know as Kaneda from the English dub of Akira. Ah. He's Max Sterling from Robotech, Ooze from Captain Planet. Oh my gosh. And you'll like this one. Brendan Quarters and a name I can't pronounce. He's from Gargoyles. Gila, Gila Cumgain. I am not sure, yes. but I will learn soon. <laughs> secrets and spoilers. Secrets, secrets. But he did voices for Gargoyles. Leonardo and Rocksteady from the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And he's done a bunch more. But this guy is like a voice acting force from my childhood anyways. Yeah. The exchange is interrupted by a servant who informs Lau that they have a visitor. Lau is outraged by this intrusion and demands to know who has the audacity to show up unannounced and unexpected. The Avatar, sir? The servant replies as Toph <laughs> blows some hair out of her face. She is annoyed and not happy. The scene fades to the dining room where Team Avatar is sitting down with the Beifongs and Master Yu over a warm meal. Aang is conveniently sitting across from Toph. And they kind of have this like back and forth. It's very like this very civil back and forth where I feel like uh, Yao is treating Ang like an adult, which is nice, but like not in a res- not that he's disrespectful, but like it's all small talk and it's not meaningful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's just like, oh, um, when do you think this ghastly war will end? And Ang's just like, I'm hoping to beat the Fire Lord by by the end of the the summer. End and it of goes, summer. Oh, it's good, like a good. business meeting or something. It was yeah. weird. It's just yeah. very like boring, but they're talking about these amazing things. It's very yep. weird. And then um Toph tries to take like a sip of her soup or is it a bite or a sip of soup? It looks like a bite. It looks like almost she's eating rice or something. Okay. She has some super rice or whatever, and her father's like, No, 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 that's that's too hot. And so Ang goes, oh, I'll, I'll take care of that. And just like earth bends or earth bends. It just air bends a little tornado and just like cools it down. <laughs> and like polite, yeah, like sophisticated like, clapping. Good, 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 good <laughs> show. Indeed. Good show, old chap. Titter, titter, titter. <laughs> so bad. I love it. <laughs> so Ang tells Lao that he is in search of an earthbending master to which Lao tells the avatar that Master Yu is the finest in all the land and that he's been teaching his daughter Toph since she was little. Aang then mentions that she must be a great earthbender and she is probably good enough to teach someone else. Before he can even really finish that, Toph kind of like kicks like an earthbending wave at Aang and like kind of knocks him into his bowl in front of him. And it's almost that same way that you would like kick someone for saying something stupid under the dinner table. It's literally that. Yep. You informs the group that Toph is still learning the basics and Lao adds that since she is blind, she will never truly become an earthbending master. Oh, I'm sure she's much better than you think she is. And another kick, quote unquote, from Toph, this time causing Aang to really just fall into his bowl of soup. Aang does like a fake sneeze as like a retaliation, which sends food on literally the other side of the table, just flying everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> the two end up screaming at each other like, what's your problem? And all of that. And um, Lau and his wife, Poppy, both look blankly before Poppy asks if they should move to the living room for dessert. Poppy's not too bright. Is what I'm gathering. I got that this is very much like a person of good breeding who is elegant and subtle would respond this way to like anything that's out of place or a kerfluffle. It's like, shall we retire to the other room and just forget all of this that has happened? It's like that kind of reaction. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It is. Poppy, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but do you ever watch Beverly Hills 90210? Like the old one? I don't think so. No, I used to. I'm not embarrassed to say that. 
Poppy is voiced by Gabrielle Carteris. I can never pronounce her last name. She played Andrea Zuckerman in Beverly Hills 90210. Also was the voice of Dr. Erica Slate from Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. Your Mm -hmm. favorite show. My favorite cartoon growing up. And Sable Thorpe in Batman Beyond. So not only do I know her from live action, I also know her from other things. Very cool. Yeah. I have a couple notes too. Okay. Since at this point, we are in Beifang Manor. We're having dinner with the Beifangs. And we've seen two outfits on Toph. When she's the blind bandit, she has that like shorts and tunic kind of get up. And when she's home, she's wearing that dress. All of the clothing and hairstyles in this town or city, Gaoling, resemble those of the Tang Dynasty of ancient China. So that is where Mm. they draw a lot of their inspiration. And at this dinner table, we see definitely, um, and I would say also during Earth Rumble 6, definitely a a rougher side of Toph. She is a little brash and, Mm. you know, in your face and is very opinionated. Well, in original production, Toph was supposed to be a blind teenage boy. And the idea to switch her gender and make her a girl came from head writer Aaron Ehas. Mm -hmm. And it was something that it was an idea that Brian and Mike were resistant to at first. But the more they thought about it, the more they put it together. They loved the idea of having all of Toph's original personality traits put into the body of this adorable 12 year old girl who's just like tough as nails. (laughs) And now they can't imagine Toph any other way. And I think we can agree because yes. we are all on the same page. Toph is wonderful as she is. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's actually very interesting, too. If you think about the way she's written, at least in this episode, it could kind of go either way. Right. Like Because the yeah. only traits that we really know so far is her wrestling persona and her, let's call it like home persona, where she's yes. very quiet and very protected and she's aware of that. It's like we know her wrestling persona is her or closer to her real persona than her home one because she takes advantage of it and she yells for the yeah. guards and all of that. But yeah, she's wonderful. I love her yeah. so much. She can be her true self as the blind bandit. Yes. Also, one final, final note. Mm-hmm. I just want to point out that Toph is bending with one foot in this scene. Yes. That's very impressive. Yeah. Just want really to point, cool. point that out there. <laughs> Later that night, as Aang is saying goodnight to Appa, Toph walks into the room and Aang immediately jumps into a defensive position. Toph tells Aang to relax. She's here to apologize and to call a truce. The two go for a walk outside and then tells Aang that even though she was born blind, she's never really had a problem seeing. Toph uses earthbending to see, so it's kind of like seeing with her feet. She can feel the vibrations from the earth, and can even see things that would be otherwise unnoticeable to those who can actually see with their eyes. So like, she's like, oh, those ants over there. And Aang can't even see the ants because it's nighttime and they're like in tall grass or tallish grass. Toph goes on to explain that her parents have always babied her and that they just don't understand, which is why she became the blind bandit. Aang asks why she stays if she's so unhappy. And Toph just replies, they're my parents. Where else am I supposed to go? The difference in mentality in respect to bending hair, I just want to kind of point out, whenever Aang doesn't like something, he just kind of takes off like the wind. Yeah, he runs. He runs. His home literally changes with the wind. Toph is more grounded. So she's really like, she just, I think, understands the psychology, for lack of a better term, or the the ideology behind earthbending a lot better. Yeah. And needs some sort of structure or a plan before making the next move. 
So while Aang can literally just like take off and be okay, she needs to be on the ground, feet on the ground, figuring out what's around her so she can move where Aang doesn't need to do that, which is very interesting. Yeah, exactly. Aang runs and goes with the wind. Toph waits and listens mm-hmm. and is grounded in her decisions. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very, very interesting. I don't know if that was on purpose or that's just kind of like how it happened. They need an earthbender. And so like blind and that you know it's a happenstance i don't think so but it's very very interesting to have someone with a much different mentality is similar to Sokka. she's similar to Sokka in many ways in many many yeah. ways and yet completely different ang tells toff that she could join them on their journey toff loves the idea of being out in the world free to do whatever they want but unfortunately it's not her life suddenly toff detects movement from the earth but it's too late Shinfu and his wrestlers ambush the two of them and put them in metal cages, leaving only a note for the Beifongs and the rest of Team Avatar to find. It reads, If you want to see your daughter again, bring 500 gold pieces to the arena. And it's signed by Shinfu and the Boulder. And Sokka can't believe it. He finally has the Boulder's autograph. <laughs> Lucky day. Lao asks Master Yu for help getting his daughter back, and Katara tells the Lord that they are going with them too. Poppy cries, saying that her poor baby, Toph, must be so scared right now. Oh my gosh. So the translation mm-hmm. of the characters used for the boulder's name on that ransom letter yep. translates to big chunk of rock. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. And although it's partly obscured, Shin Fu's name in the ransom letter is written with characters that translate to bitter rich. Yeah, that makes sense. Something I want to note too is when whenever you see Toph in the metal cage, all you can see through the like the window where the face is supposed to be is just the top of her hair. Yes. <laughs> it's so funny. We cut to the arena where Toph is threatening Shin Fu from her metal cage. And again, all you see is her hair threatening. Yep. <laughs> so she's unable to see anything, right, too? Because she's in a metal cage. Just like hoist herself up to see. Yeah, it's like being held in the air. So she's completely blind, which is like you see later. And they they make such a small deal out of this detail. But I thought it was just brilliant writing. So she says something to the effect of like, wipe that smile off your face. And Shin Fu is not smiling, but she can't see it. Yeah, and I think I I even just said she has to hoist herself yeah. up to see, but she can't see. She it's can't just see. she wants to like be facing her her opponent. That's yes. so tough. Yes. And to really call attention to this transition too, I think this is a brilliant transition where her mom's like she must be so scared and then Toph's like, "Why don't you come up here and I can snap that grin off your face?" <laughs> yeah, it it just shows how little her parents actually know her, which I think yeah. actually makes Toph a much more relatable character to not just kids but anyone. Is yep. because I feel like everyone kind of has like, if you want to quote Jim Carrey's The Mask, it's just like you have the mask you wear out in public and that's completely different from who you actually may feel you are or might be. So that's yeah. very, very cool that they're incorporating this. I do like the little bit nods. I hope it continues in future episodes where they remind us that Toph is blind. Yes. Because it's very easy <laughs> to forget it. So I'll point it out when it comes back up again. But it's just, just I already really cool did. writing. Oh, yeah, that's right. Right there. It happens again later. And I think everyone knows when. But. Anyways, so she's hanging in the air from the cave. The rescue team arrives. Sokka gives them back their money as they release Toph, who runs to her parents. Shinfu refuses to give Aang back since the Fire Nation will pay way more gold for his head and kind of tells him to beat it, chumps. Get out of my ring. 
the wrestlers squat up almost like the Ginyu force from Dragon Ball Z is <laughs> the vibe I got off of it and are too much of a match for the two water tribe siblings. Katara calls for Toph to help. They need an earthbender to save Aang. They need her. What's really cool is in the original script, Katara and Sokka were supposed to take them down. Ooh. Yeah. But according to the DVD commentary, it was like a almost a last minute decision. They were in the storyboarding phase and they were like, no, this is Toph's episode. Toph needs to be the one to take them down. So they scrapped it and they just redid it all with Toph doing all the action. Oh my gosh, it's so much stronger that way yep. because she comes against them like dressed in her Toph Bayfong clothes, mm-hmm. not the blind bandit, but she's talking like the blind bandit. And she's yep. like, I took you guys down before and I'll do it again. And it's like such a strong moment for her. And it, yes. of course, mortifies her parents. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, let's talk about that. So yeah. Lau is obviously confused because his daughter is blind, helpless and fragile. She cannot help them. Yes, I can, Toph says, determined, and storms into the ring. Toph bends a small part of the ring to stop the wrestlers from leaving with Aang. Let him go. I beat you all before, and I'll do it again, she says. The boulder takes issue with that comment, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> he is like, the boulder takes issue with that comment. But who cares? Because Toph just like creates this large dust cloud with her bending and takes down the Fire Nation man first with the cover that it provides, which by the way, the Fire Nation man clears out a little bit for him to see. He is the first sandbender that we've seen. Oh, mm-hmm. I wondered about that. Mm-hmm. That was confirmed in the uh, the commentary. This is the first oh time we've seen that. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. His small backstory, small, and I do think there, John DiMaggio does do a voice in this episode. Uh, John DiMaggio is the voice of Bender from Futurama and Marcus Phoenix from Gears of War and a bunch of other stuff, right? He's other voices. I think he might be Fire Nation Man, although it doesn't really sound too much like him, but that could be the accent throwing me off. Um, Fire Nation Man also is kind of immigrated into this part of the Earth Kingdom from the desert is his backstory. Okay, you know what? So I pulled it up and I just rewatched that little part. And you're Mm -hmm. absolutely right. When Toph is facing him in the dust cloud when he goes to bend and it goes past her because she dodges it mm-hmm. it is 100 percent sand and i have seen this episode so many times and i've never noticed that's phenomenal yep that's why i i caught that on my second to last watch through which was number six no number five i watched it six times in total. oh my god <laughs> i can't get enough of it <laughs> so Toph takes him out pretty easily and it's not super surprising because the boulder can take him out super easy. Why can't she? She can take out the boulder just as easily. Toph knocks Fire Nation Man out of the ring into the ground, which I don't know why everyone's just taking the rules of Earth Rumble 6 when they're fighting each other, but they are. <laughs> yeah, if, once they they're are. on the ground, they're like, all right, I'm, I'm done with. Meanwhile, Katara and Sokka struggle to free Aang from his cage. Toph takes out the gecko quite easily, and when the gopher emerges from under the ring, he launches a rock at Toph's head when she catches it with her bare hands, which is super impressive, turns around, launches it right back at him, sending him out of the ring and landing on the previous opponents. Toph then takes out Hippo and Boulder at the same time, with Headhunter flying in from a rope. Toph rotates the ring to have the Headhunter take out both Hippo and the Boulder and sends them both out of the ring, landing on the previously defeated opponents. Master Yu then tells Lao that he never knew how good Toph was at earthbending, He is amazed by the skills and talent, but also 
maybe trying to save his own butt a little bit because he probably didn't know she was this good. And like, so here I'm, I'm conflicted about this. So master you is like, Oh wow. She is so good. I never knew. So like he either kind of got a sense of this and was just lying to get money from the richest family in town. I think he really had no idea because I think Toph's the kind of person who is taking this double life thing super seriously. Yeah. And she'll go to earthbending lessons with Master Yu as Toph Beifong and just go with emotions and play along and give him enough to be able to report back to her family. But then in her own time, and I think we see a flashback of this in a future episode too, where she talks about where she learned earthbending. I think she would go off and practice on her own to the point where she got as good as she is and she can go fight as the blind bandit. So I think this is, and you can kind of hear it in the inflection of the voice actor and the way they animated him, like clutching his head and then breaching his arms out. Like, mm. I had no idea. Your daughter is amazing. I think he's like losing his mind a little bit where he's like, where did this come from? Okay. Can I tell you a little bit of the commentary that kind of supports your theory a little bit? Oh, yes, please. So Michael and Brian, they're talking about Toph and how she got this good at earthbending. And they said that this isn't like official canon, but this is what they believe to have happened, which is about as good as official canon as you're going to get from the creators of the show. Um, I mean, yeah. So that they're saying that when she was like maybe five years old, she would just kind of like wander into the yards and you know, maybe into like the surrounding mountains a little bit. And there were badger moles there. So she just learned from the badger moles directly, which would kind of signify why her style is a little bit different than everyone else's is because she just kind of like felt what they were doing, observed as much as she could what they were doing, and then just developed the style on her own. Yeah. So the flashback I'm thinking of, and I can't remember which episode it's from, and this is a bit of a spoiler. Sorry, anyone who uh, hasn't seen the series before. It's small, though. Mm -hmm. But there's a flashback of her learning earthbending as a little girl with badger moles, mm -hmm. and she would mimic their movements and learn earthbending. And so I wonder when the commentary was recorded, because oh. they do confirm that later. That's weird. Yeah. And so I wonder when they recorded. It could have been during production. Maybe. Yeah. Because they, they said, I don't remember if it was Mike or Brian, because their voices are so similar. I can't they are. talk apart. I've noticed that. And I'm just like, who said that? I was like, oh, whatever. It's fine. They said that they like to think that that she learned from that she would wander out and she would learn from badger moles when she was like five years old. So maybe yeah. maybe they ran with it and they were like, you know what? Screw it. Let's just make that canon. Let's throw it into an episode later. Or it's possible they didn't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't gotten or that, that. Far <laughs> watching the commentary. I don't know. But OK, so that that's really cool then. Awesome. Here I was thinking I was taking something from the commentary, but I was taking it from the show in the future. Toph clears the dust out of the air. And now there's only Shinfu left. I love this. She's just like, all right, enough of these distractions. And then it's just yeah. her against the master. It's oh really God. cool. It takes Toph a little longer to defeat him, but she does so. And Yu exclaims that Toph is the best earthbender that he has ever seen. Oh my gosh. Like just this scene where they're fighting and he's like launching boulders at her and she's super focused and in her stance and she like creates a, a little lean to out of rock yeah. and then just absolutely crushes him like every scene with her fighting and bending is just my favorite thing ever well what's what's super interesting about her is all these wrestlers with the exception of shinfu make a point to make this very showy and they're exerting all this extra energy yeah. and toff doesn't care about that 
she, I think she likes the praise and she likes getting, you know, probably the little bit of coin she gets for doing it comparatively to what her family has. But it just lets her kind of be herself. But she's very like direct and very precise and doesn't waste any yes. extra energy, which is really cool. That's a great way of putting it. She is very direct and precise. Yeah. And um, on that note, I did learn that the, the writing team wanted her style to be unique. So Sifu Kisu was called to kind of work on this. And he actually contacted his friend, Sifu Manuel Rodriguez, who is a master of the rare Southern praying mantis style. And so during a consultation, Sifu Manny told them, legend has it that the style was started by a blind woman. Yes. Which is super cool. So Southern praying mantis, again, was legend has it. It was created by a blind woman. And... Mm -hmm. It's cool because in the Avatar world, Gaoling is located in the south, which coincidentally suits Toph's knowledge of Chugar Southern Praying Mantis Kung Fu, which mm -hmm. is also a Southern style. By the way, everyone's getting very, I'm getting very excited about that. That was all an accident. That was not planned. <gasps> yeah. That's a happy accident. It I mean, that's kind of how it read. Okay, yes. cool. That's kind of how it read, which is like, oh my gosh, this is like meant to be. Yes. Yeah. So they when they got this information they they literally call it that the bob ross happy accident right and they were like yeah they just went with it so while we would love to give them credit for that genius maneuver fate had to step in for that which is just as good in my opinion i love it it's meant to be yes aaron e has was hooked up to the universe <laughs> and he got divine inspiration be like you know what let's make Toph a girl yeah <laughs> so everyone's defeated Master Yu is just like, this is amazing. This is like the best thing. She's the best earthbender I've ever seen, period. But while Master Yu is very excited about all this, Lao appears to be worried about this revelation. Yeah, dad does not like this. Mm -mm. Although it's not like a, it's very important to note because they try to do this whole like deceiving thing. He doesn't look angry. He's just very worried. Yeah. Back at Beifong Manor, Toph tells her parents that she is not the helpless blind girl that they thought she was. She loves fighting and being an earthbender. Plus, she's really good at it. She understands that keeping the secret wasn't the best idea, but they were keeping her a secret from the whole world, which, by the way, super messed up. Oh, yeah. Super messed up. Just wanted to put that out. We hadn't talked about that. I don't want to talk about it too long, but like, I just want to put that out there. Booster Greg does not approve of this action at all. <laughs> no. No. At all. She also understands. I've been I've been talking as the boulder for too long. I just referred to myself in the third person, by the way. <laughs> she also understands that this was done to protect her, but she is 12 years old and has never had a real friend. That is heartbreaking. I know. This new information has not changed the way her father sees her. He still loves her. However, I don't want to say this next part. It is obvious to Lau that he's been too lenient with her. And she has had way too much freedom. Dad, no, the other direction. Yeah, yeah. You were the doing other direction. You were doing You're... so good there for like a second there, pal. Just a <laughs> second. He then tells her from now on, she will have guards 24-7 around her. And then informs the guards that the Avatar and his friends should be seen out as they are no longer welcome here. Aang apologizes to Toph and Toph apologizes to Aang. And she says goodbye. And yeah. I do want to point out, though, very quickly, that while Lau and Poppy are kind of going in this opposite direction, it's almost understandable if you think about, it's inexcusable, but it's also understandable if you think about who they are, how they've lived their lives, 
And this is coming, although misguided, coming from from love. Like if they didn't care about their daughter, they wouldn't be shielding her so much. Yeah. This is also what you call like helicopter parenting and smothering someone with love and protection. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. So like while they have the best intentions, they say something yeah. about the best intentions and paving roads, roads and hell and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. A little, so a little misdirected. Yes. They just try to control things way too much and they can't and they have to let go, but they don't want to. But everyone gets kicked out outside of the Beifong property. The gang pack up and hop on Appa's back, about to take off to continue their search for an earthbending master when Toph comes yelling and running up the hill. She tells the group that her dad changed her mind miraculously, and now she can come. Sokka tells everyone that they should get going before her dad changes his mind again. <laughs> before they take off, Toph does an earthbending equivalent of a sucker punch to Aang. She goes, oh, by the way, get down here. I got I to gotta give you something. And he gets down there, and she just like knocks him in the head with a piece of earth. <laughs> yep. And she goes, I'll take back that belt now. And Sokka throws it at her and she can't see it. <laughs> so it just yeah. whacks her on the head. So <laughs> again, here, here is that reminder that she's blind. We went this whole episode of her being a badass and her yeah. like you very easily just forget that she's blind. But nope, she gets hit on the head by something she can't see. So don't throw yeah. anything at her. No. Yeah. I also want to point out that before she comes over the hill, Katara and Aang have this moment where Katara is doing the Katara thing saying it's okay don't worry there's lots of great earthbenders out there we'll find you a new teacher and Aang says not like her yeah and I just want to say that is like so basically the most appropriate thing you can say about Toph yeah no there's there's other earthbenders out there but not like Toph not yeah. like Toph Beifong for sure Oh, and just in case there's any doubt in anyone's mind, the next scene is literally Lao presenting a bounty to Shinfu and Master Yu because the Avatar has kidnapped his daughter and he wants them to do whatever it takes to bring her home. I hate this. I absolutely, this is like, I know that they need a new antagonist for, yeah. for them, but th I hate this so much. Like this is just going to make me annoyed in later episodes. I can already see it. Yep. Yeah. That's the episode. That's the blind bandit. Yay! Yay! Top is joined Team Avatar. So I already know what your answer is going to be for the MVP. So I'm going to throw a, a wrench in your works. Okay, do it. Toph is the MVP. You can't choose Toph, though. Uh, I don't know how Rob's going to calculate this, but... <laughs> uh, oh, crap. The boulder for being so iconic, I guess? That was going to be mine, too. <laughs> so I it's was tied like, let's, let's throw Toph a wrench in this works so we can't choose the same character. Proceeds to choose same character. Yep. Yep. Just just accept it, Greg. It's Toph and the Boulder. Those are our MVPs okay. of this episode All jointly. Right. Sounds good to me. What was your moral of the episode? Oh, man. I mean, it sounds cheesy, but be true to yourself. Yeah, I can agree with that. I mean, in Toph's life specifically, there is so much opposition to her being herself. She was born into a rich, wealthy family. She lives in an enclosed, like, I forget the term. We, we're using manor for the house itself, but they have like land. They have a wall that separates her from the rest of society. Mm -hmm. She has overbearing parents who want to protect her to the point of her like preventing her from growing as a person. And yet, in spite of all of that, she's carved out through like sheer force of will her identity. She's found ways to be true to herself. Yeah, I'll I'll agree with that. I'll say. Because I want, I don't want to just agree with you on both of these because they're both true. <laughs> well, okay, give us a reason for the boulder then. I mean, the boulder doesn't have a moral of the episode though. 
Okay, never mind. Scratch that. <laughs> the boulder, the boulder, the boulder just listens to the boulder and that's it. <laughs> and then maybe Jin Fu because he has the, the money. I feel like there's a moral here about water tribe and don't mess with two mess. water tribe siblings. <laughs> just, yeah, so, okay. Okay. Thank you for walking me through that one. So the moral of the episode for me is you just don't mess with the water tribe. <laughs> water tribe. Water tribe. And <laughs> with that... That is all the time that we have for this episode. Remember, as always, if you ever want to reach out to us and about your MVPs for book two, any moral of the episodes that you learned or anything that we might have missed or you just want to talk about more, you can always email us directly at avatarthepodcast at gmail.com. You can always leave a five-star written review over on Apple Podcasts. You can tweet at us at Podcast Avatar, all of that wonderful stuff. Oh, yeah. And you can also do any of that stuff. If you just want to tell us we're awesome. That's fine, too. Well, you know, if you want to tell me I'm awesome, I'm always about that. That's just, just <laughs> feed feed the ego a little more. <laughs> if you want to see what I'm up to, you can find me online at Acorn Bandit and also on joysons.com. That's J-O-I-S-A-N-S.com, where you can also find our book to enamel pin yes. which we're going to spoil right now it's tough it's a tough, it's tough. Go, go look at it go get it i'm so excited about it it's also my first pin i ever designed i'm also yeah. very excited about Yay. that <laughs> uh and as always you can follow me over at twitch.tv slash booster greg where i stream whatever i want whatever i want whenever i want is usually monday and friday evenings at 8 p.m eastern standard time so uh you should come do that or oh, we already have a bunch of followers uh, that listen to Avatar the podcast, and I'm always down to talk about Avatar when it's. I don't just talk about Avatar with Acorn, although that seems to be my life right now. I want to talk to more people about it, so come hang out. He's sick of me. Go, go, humor him. <laughs> no. Go talk about Avatar with someone. No, with a little them. bit. No, <laughs> no, of course not. Acorn. Of course not. I mean, yes, maybe yeah, a little totally, little but bit. no, of course not. <laughs> maybe like two percent. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, coming up next time, brotherly love and. Azula always lies. Azula always lies. That's hard to say. Azula always lies. Azula always. Oh wow! You can't There's say a lot it five of times L's fast. and W's. Yeah. yeah. Azula always lies. 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 I feel now, like I'm not saying any words now. It's I just am sounds. suddenly infinitely more impressed with Dante Bosco, based off yeah, of this. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. All this and more next time on. Avatar, the, the podcast. podcast. Avatar, the podcast is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com.